without further ado or further delays, uh, we are so happy to introduce our Saturday morning keynote. And our keynote speaker is Matt from West Hartford, Connecticut. And he has 35 minutes to share his story. Over to you, Matt. Thanks so much. Good morning, everyone. My name is Matt, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm going to screen share a photo real quick. So that was not. Um, that was not me at my top weight. My top weight was around 305, 305 pounds, perhaps more. Um, grateful to be abstinent in OA since April 6th of 2016 and maintaining um, about 120 pound or more weight loss in that time. And this is a uh, good practice for me to pause. I'm being uh, mindful of our interpreters and I tend to go very fast. So this is a good exercise for me. Um, so if anybody here is, is uh, new to OA and you're, you're young, young people exist in OA, that's a thing. Um, I joined OA in my 20s. I'm in my 30s now. There were not that many of me uh, when I first, first came in, or like me, not many young people. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll just tell you very briefly a little bit about uh, what it was like before OA, and then a lot about what it was like after I came to OA. And actually a huge part of my um, hitting bottom was after attending my first OA meeting. So my, um, when we did the countdown a little while ago, I was one of those people that, you know, struggled with that question um, as far as how much time you have. Um, I joined OA arguably um, maybe 10 years before I got abstinent. But I've been abstinent uh, for over five years now. And, um, you know, my earliest childhood memories uh, are of me obsessing about food. And my entire adolescence, I think a lot about me obsessing about food and my weight. And at one point in time, um, I got into another 12-step program. And I'm just going to share about that to the extent that it's relevant here, because it actually is very relevant to this and how I got here. And so um, I got into recovery in another program at a, at a very young age. I joined when I was a senior in high school. And I had a relapse there when I was um, at the age of 20. 
and my relapse in that program lasted five days, and I've been in recovery there since the age of 20 ever since. And it was after getting recovery in that program that my food issue, which had been a problem my entire life, a big problem, really took off. And it was especially troubling to me um, because when you're in recovery in a 12-step program and you see yourself having another addictive behavior, it's very disturbing. And my experience in that other program was um, such that I dived in with, with both feet right away. And um, I had an experience with the 12 steps in that other program. And I sponsored a lot of people in that other program. And I became very familiar with um, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I mean, we could we could do some big book trivia and I, I probably could wipe the floor with a lot of people just saying. Don't, don't try that during the Q&A session. I won't entertain it. But the reason I bring that up is notwithstanding that whole experience, I was still um, eating and eating and eating and eating, even though I was already in a 12-step program. And I had the experience of listening to lots of fifth steps, doing lots of service, being in the center of the herd in my other program. And feeling as though I was living a double life the entire time. And the way that I found Overeaters Anonymous was a friend of mine in that other program and initially suggested it. And I remember he brought me to my first meeting, um, which was in Southington, Connecticut. And I walked in and I sat in the meeting for maybe all of five minutes. And I heard people sharing and something happened inside me. And I 
started to cry and I got up and I, I walked out. And I, I knew that this world had people with weight problems. I knew there were people that were much heavier than I was. But I genuinely thought up to that moment that I was the only person on the planet that experienced food the way that I experienced food. And when I walked into my first um, OA meeting and heard people sharing about stealing food and eating in their car and hiding it and all the other things we do, um, it rattled me. It rattled me because I realized um, just how bad it was and that there was a place for me that addressed this problem. And it struck a chord with me. And I just felt emotions welling up. And, you know, I'm too prideful to let people know that I'm crying. I'm not about to cry in front of a bunch of strangers. So I got up and I, I waited outside for the rest of the meeting for my friend to come out. And I told him what had happened. And I then proceeded to relapse and struggle in and out of Overeaters Anonymous. For many years after that. And I was very disturbed um, and almost wished I had not gone to that meeting. Because while I continued to compulsively overeat for years, the awareness about what was happening to me and what I was doing, um, my compulsive overeating was forever ruined. So I had the experience of... Um, doing things like going to an OA meeting, um, raising my hand for 24 hours and getting one of those chips that you get. And I must have had, I could probably pile the number of 24-hour chips from the floor to the ceiling. And every time I would get um, air quotes abstinent for a period of time, and I would share in the meeting about how I was doing something so different this time, 
and how every other time I was in OA, I was doing it all wrong, but this time I was going to do it right. And I didn't realize that that was, um, like it says in chapter three of the AA big book, um, self-knowledge, it doesn't work. And so um, I remember, you know, I would get a week, a month, two months of abstinence, go to an OA meeting and sometimes go binge immediately after the meeting. But every time that I had um, quote unquote abstinence, um, there really wasn't abstinence. For example, I would do something where um, I would pick a plan of eating, like I'm just not going to eat sugar and that's it. Everything else is fair game. And I can eat a million times a day in enormous quantities, just no sugar. I'd say, well, abstinence is up to me. That's my abstinence. Just no sugar. It's fine. And I remember one time pulling into the parking lot in Danbury, Connecticut for an OA meeting. And I had ordered uh, two different dinners, maybe three dinners, honestly, if I look back on how much food it was. And I sat in the parking lot outside this OA meeting and I ate these three dinners. And when I got up to get out of my car, I started vomiting all over the parking lot because I'd eaten so quickly that it made me throw up. And I walked into the building where the OA meeting was and went in the bathroom. And I wiped um, vomit off my face in the bathroom. And I walked into the OA meeting and they asked if anybody was celebrating any milestones in recovery. And I raised my hand and said, I had 30 days of abstinence. Because I hadn't had sugar in 30 days. But five minutes earlier, I was vomiting in the parking lot because I ate three dinners and it made me sick and made me throw up. And for all these years in and out of OA before I got abstinent, I was not interested in abstinence. What I was interested in was continuing to compulsively overeat and lose weight.
And I remember having an experience one time of um, being in a Walgreens and walking up and down the junk food aisle like I so often did. And being on the phone with a member of Overeaters Anonymous for close to an hour while I paced up and down the, the aisle. And this person finally convinced me that it wasn't worth it and to leave. And I would go home. I, well, I went and bought a bottle of water because I felt bad being in there so long without buying anything. So I bought a bottle of water and I left. And then I went to bed at home and about 45 minutes later, I got up and I went back to that Walgreens and I bought a family size pack of Oreos and a bunch of other stuff. And the person behind the counter said, you almost, you almost just bought the water this time. And I guess I wasn't fooling anyone, including the people working at the store. And I would have the experience sometimes of going to five different gas stations in one night, just so that one gas station wouldn't see all of the junk food that I was buying in one night. Um, I didn't brush my teeth at night for years. There was no point because I was just, I didn't know when the last time I was going to eat on any given night was, and I was tired of brushing over and over again. I had dentist appointments where they would yell at me because my gums would bleed so bad. um, And my, my, just my gums were, they had to do the cleaning in four sessions because I just didn't brush my teeth at night, didn't floss for years. I had doctors um, telling me how badly I needed to lose weight. And they would always seem to do it in such a brilliant way. They'd say, you know, it's just about, you gotta, you have to um, eat fewer calories than what you expend in a day. It's like, wow, you don't say. That is so brilliant. Why didn't I think of that? I knew exactly how to lose weight. I knew what healthy eating looked like. I just lacked the power to do it. I couldn't do it. 
And I, um, at one point I was speaking at a large event in my other 12-step program. And after that speaking commitment, I went out and got a bunch of food and snuck it to the hotel room I was staying in. And with all those years of experience with the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 steps and service, there I found myself in a hotel room by myself, eating alone, Wondering what the thousand people I had just spoken in front of might think if they saw what I was doing. And eventually I got such a bad case of sleep apnea um, where, you know, I was happy. It was really, really bad. And I had to wear the machine or I was maybe going to face sudden death. And I, um, I've had sleep problems my whole life and I was not able to sleep with the thing on. And it was at that point in time that I just knew that I was going to die a death from compulsive overeating in my 20s. I got maybe two hours of sleep every night. I woke up gasping, drenched in sweat constantly. I put the machine on for a, for a while and then I just couldn't sleep and I would take it off and fall asleep. And then I'd wake up gasping and sweating. And I knew that there was nothing anybody could do and that that was going to be what I was going to die from. And on April 6th of 2016, I was in the car with my sponsor and my other 12-step program. And I started talking to him about my day or whatever we were talking about as we were driving somewhere. And he, he said, Matt, we have to talk about something. There is a, a big... Uh, pink, morbidly obese elephant in this car right now. He loved me enough to tell me the truth. And he said, Matt, it's gotten so bad that 
people that barely even know you are calling me and saying, what is going on with Matt? He looks so unhealthy. He said, Matt, you have to go back to OA. And they said to him, I've tried OA so many times, it doesn't work for me. I've gotten a sponsor there. I've done step work. I've gone to meetings. I've called people. And it just doesn't work for me. I've picked up the phone while in the, in the store buying junk food to have them talk me out only to go back an hour later. I'm not going to OA. It doesn't work. Well, little did I know that April 6th of 2016 would be my abstinent date. The one that actually stuck. After being so hopeless for so long and just wanting to give, give up and call it quits. I gave it one last go. And something finally clicked for me. And it happened for me. And the next day, I went to see my therapist and told him about what I was thinking about and what I was going through. And I left that therapy session still feeling convinced like this wasn't going to work for me. Oh, it was not going to work. And I pulled into a CVS parking lot, which is not a good parking lot for me back in those days. And I sat in my car looking at the building and I thought to myself, I think I want to drive my car into the brick wall without a seatbelt on and end this thing right here and right now, rather than walk into that CVS one more time. And I also thought to myself, I think I want to run my car into that brick wall rather than face what I would face tonight if I don't walk into that CVS. And while it was sitting there, it hit me. There's a line in more about alcoholism in the big book about Jim, the guy who put the whiskey in his milk.
And it talks about how he made a beginning, but he failed to grow and enlarge upon his spiritual life. And I had made many beginnings in OA, but I never did the whole deal consistently and regularly. I did a plan of eating my way. I did everything my way. And... um I listened to a speaker that night on a podcast and I started listening to a bunch of podcast speakers regularly. And for whatever reason, I was hearing all the things that I wasn't doing in OA all those years. I thought I was doing everything. And then I was hearing these people and I'm like, huh, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing that. And most importantly, I wasn't going to any lengths. Um, I wasn't acting like this was a fatal progressive disease that was going to kill me. And so, um, you know, I started doing this thing and I started looking for a sponsor. And I had a really hard time finding a sponsor. And meanwhile, I was inches from suicide. And the meetings I went to locally, there weren't a lot of people raising their hand to sponsor. And the ones that were, were women. And I felt more comfortable working with a man. Matt, five minutes. Thanks, Marlene. Time flies. <laughs> um, and there was one guy that I heard speak, and I really, really liked his message. And I drove, you know, over an hour to go hear him, and I asked him to sponsor me, and he, he told me he was full and that he didn't have any availability. But eventually I found a gentleman who offered, who was willing to sponsor me and sponsorship has been really important for me. Um, you know, it helped me navigate situations, helped me navigate getting married, abstinent, dealing with the wedding cake situation. Help me navigate a health problem that I had to walk through and be on a special diet for a while. And um, I, um, I'm eternally grateful for sponsorship. It's it saved me. Um, I think that my experience with how um, 
important this program is for me makes me realize I have to give back any chance I can. I, I always make myself available for sponsorship. I'm much more active in my other program than, than in OA, but I try to stay active in both programs. And I honestly don't know how many people I sponsor. Could be 30, 35. I have no idea. And I always say yes. And what I tell people is yes, but I sponsor a lot of people and I'm really busy and you need to have a network. And if it's not going to work for you, it's not going to work for you. Because I remember I was inches from suicide looking for a sponsor for a while, and I don't want that to be someone else's experience. And if you believe that I can help you, I'm willing to help you. And if you think that I won't make the time, try me. I dare you. I will make the time to help you. No matter what I have going on, I will make the time to help you. Because this program has saved my life and it's given me a life. I don't have enough time to talk about what it's given me, but it's given me so much. And I'll just end with I'll just end with this. If Marlene could please be a little gentle, I'm gonna wrap I am gonna wrap it up. Um, public outreach and public information is extremely important. And the best public information that we could all do is be an example of Overeaters Anonymous. I have 12 stepped tons of people into OA by being willing to share with them when they ask me, holy crap, you look so different. How did you lose all that weight? I tell them the truth. And I remember there was someone that um, the two of us didn't get along at all. Um, and we just didn't see eye to eye on something. And one, one day um, that person asked me, you know, wait, Matt, how'd you lose all that weight? And I said, well, I joined Overeaters Anonymous. It's a 12-step program for food. I got tired of eating three rows of Oreos every single night. And that person broke down crying and said, I thought I was the only one.
I'll, I'll close with this. Today is a very important day in O-Readers Anonymous, October 23rd, 2021. Today is someone's abstinence day. And to help that person, we need to ensure that we're not only working our own program, but also that OA is adhering to its 12 traditions. Because without the 12 traditions, this program will not exist. And we all have a responsibility to learn more about those principles and the 12 concepts for world service and all that OA has to offer because it was here for us and we want it to be here for other people. And I appreciate so much the opportunity to share today. I could go on and on about what OA has given me, but the time has, uh, the time has escaped, but I think uh, the proof is in the pudding pun intended and I'll zip it with that. Thanks. Thank you so much, Matt. What a, what a pleasure to hear you. And I will tell the group, as a convention co-chair, you don't uh, always get to hear a keynote who's from your local meetings, but it's a special joy to have Matt in my, some of the meetings that I go to. So thank you, Matt, for sharing and Thank you. You just blew my mind. Uh, today is someone's abstinent date. Today in this room, it is someone's abstinent date. And maybe it's 10 people's abstinence date. So it's good for us to remember. Really amazing. So we now have time for a few questions. We will use the question and answer function, the Q&A button at the bottom of the screen. If you have supportive comments, please put those in chat and we'll make sure Matt sees them. Remember you can type in English or French uh, in this session because uh, I can read both languages. And uh, Matt, the first question, is for your contact information. We don't want that on the recording, but if you could put it in chat or send it uh, to uh, one of our chat monitors, they will put it in chat. Thank you, there you go. So Matt's information is in uh, chat. Uh, next question is, what do you think we can do to attract more young people to OA? I think the most important thing is for those of us that are young to be visible. I'm really grateful um, to the committee for asking me to share here. I think this is a good opportunity, um, making sure that, that the speakers we get um, include some young people and um, I'll just share that at um, the Boston convention, we had sort of a rogue OA um, young people's meeting 
just at a table somewhere and made some connections. And I think something like that um, might be helpful, but um, don't make any assumptions. When you see a young person walk into a meeting, don't assume they're in the wrong place. Cause I had that experience where I walked in and people thought, Oh, what are you, what are you looking for? Overeaters anonymous. And especially after I'd gotten to goal weight, um, people asked it even more. So welcome everyone. Just like, whether they look like you or the same age as you or not. Thank you. Next question is in, in addition to coming back to OA after you got your rear kicked and getting a sponsor in OA, what else did you do to recover, get abstinent tools, eating plan, meetings, et cetera? I'm so glad that was asked because I wish I had talked about that more, but the, the tools of recovery, um, all of them are so important and be wary of thinking that any one thing is going to be the thing. You know, there are some of us that say, if we just work the 12 steps, that that in and of itself is going to be great. And the steps are important, but as you heard me share, I was not new to the steps and it was the steps in conjunction with um, regularly attending meetings, hearing the speakers on the podcasts that are out there and things like that really helped me. I listened to one every single night for a while because my nighttime eating was a big thing. So that was really great, a great way to go to bed every night, listening to one of those, calling people, having a network, um, and uh, using all of the tools that are in the Tools of Recovery pamphlet, all at the same time. It really works. That's what I'd suggest. Thank you. Somebody asked, it's a good follow-up, how much weight have you lost and how long did it take and how many meetings do you go to a week? Um, so I weigh myself once a month, and but last I checked, I'm maintaining over 120-pound weight loss. And, um, so that was one question, uh, how long did it take? I'm intentionally not going to answer that because I don't want anyone to feel like their experience has to be mine. I, I came in, I'll, I'll tell you this. I came in as a male in his twenties and the weight fell off fast. But if you are, if that is not who you are, when you walk in, that might not, not be your experience. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're doing anything wrong, um, but it is a good barometer for me to measure whether my recovery is working. And my meeting attendance um, does fluctuate a bit. Um, right now, I have some very, very heavy um, service commitments in the other program I'm in and some stuff going on over there that um, is, is much more prevalent right now than my participation in OA. But um, I don't believe I've ever gone a week without making sure I'm at an OA meeting. And um, if you can get to two or three or four a week when you're starting, or even one every day, if that's possible, uh, meetings are very helpful to, to stay connected. So next question is uh, to ask you to expand a little on your reference to expanding your spiritual life and how you do this. Sure. So um, 
steps 10 and 11, um, they're really growth steps. They're not maintenance steps. And I, I need to make sure that I'm working my program in such a way that I'm growing um, rather than just maintaining. So in other words, um, am I regularly doing my house cleaning, taking inventory of myself and making amends? If a week goes by that I'm not making an amends for something I've done this week, I'm not being honest with myself. And when we grow and when I grow my, my spiritual life, what that usually means is I end up realizing just how selfish I am. If I take stock of any given day and I realize a million instances where I was selfish today, that's actually a positive thing because that means I'm aware and I'm looking at that. If I take stock of my day and I think, oh, I was fantastic today, there's no problems, that might be pretty dangerous. So 10 and 11 um, are are the steps that... um, that keep me growing. And they're also the hardest for me to stay consistent with. I really need a lot of help from my fellow OA members and encouragement to, to do them the way I feel I need to. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Matt. Uh, we've got a lot of questions about sponsoring. So the shortest question about sponsoring is how do you sponsor so many people? I tone added by me. <laughs> so um, I, I'm honest with people when they ask me, we have a conversation ahead of time and I set the expectation and I explain if you want a sponsor that you're going to meet with every week, that's not me. Um, if you want a sponsor that, you know, you meet with for the really serious stuff, and then you have a network and you use your network to complain about your day with. Um, I'm not who you call to complain about your day with. And, um, but like to work the program and do the serious stuff. And I find that it's kind of like pe- people's willingness come and go. So sometimes you get someone and you think they're willing and then they're gone the next day. So people, people fall off, new people come in. And um, I think it's just a matter of, um, being honest about um, encouraging people to use their network. And then when we have appointments, keeping it focused on the program and step work and sacrificing my time. I give a lot of my time to try to help others in their recovery. I have missed, um, you know, many um, trips to the movies and many other things to do service in this program and another. And the thing is, when I'm doing that, I realize this is actually what I want to be doing. Um, and this makes me able to be more present and free. And somehow I end up having more time, the more I surrender, and the more I say yes, the time ends up, the time ends up coming somehow. I'm not a special person. Um, there's nothing special about me. I'm just desperate. I want to, I want to stay well and I want to help other people that want to get well. That's it. Uh, follow up, uh, from a different person. Uh, but it, it does follow nicely. How do you work or handle a sponsee when they 
uh, don't work the steps or they're not doing what you're asked, suggesting, or maybe they're not working tools, not working steps, they're just seemingly not re- ready. How do you work with them? Um, I really won't, I, I don't really, and I tell them, you know, I don't chase them is the answer. You know, if they, if they're willing and they want the help and they reach out, I'm here. But if someone is not um, reaching out and they're not, they're not interested and they're not desperate, um, there are so many other people that are. So I've never fired a sponsee ever in my entire time because um, if someone's not working it, they know there's really nothing to talk about because they're going to call me and they're going to start complaining about something. And I'm going to say, oh, how's that assignment you were supposed to do? And it's going to be so uncomfortable that they're just not going to want to call. And it, it kind of just works out. It kind of works out organically um, to where they know that that's what our purpose is together. I'm not your therapist um, or any anything else, but I'm just, I'm just a compulsive overeater like you that can help you with working this program. So, so the short answer, I don't, I don't necessarily do anything other than, um, you know, just tell them like, Hey, when you're ready and willing, I'm here. I love you. I'm here for you. But, um, you know, but there's not much for us to talk about if you're not doing the work and let it hang with that. Thank you. So another sponsorship question, but while I'm doing that, somebody asked if you would put your before picture up again. So I will let you do that. And uh, then next, that's unbelievable. So I go to meetings with you and I hadn't seen that picture. Um, Can you answer uh, real briefly and high level uh, how you take someone through the 12 steps? If there's a process you follow, yeah, um, quite, you know, some reading and writing assignments um, based on some OA books and workbooks is the short answer. Okay. What's uh, your daily routine? Your daily OA routine or recovery routine? Yeah. So when I'm on point, um, it's, I wake up and I meditate and I ask my higher power to, um, guide me in my thinking for the day. And I have a spiritual note card of spiritual tasks, like amends I need to make for yesterday, um, and things like that. Um, and at night, um, well throughout the day, um, trying to take inventory when things come up and make those amends and do that, those things on the spiritual note card. Um, I check in with my, my sponsor from time to time and call other OA members. And at night I um, do a review of my day and where I fell short and what I need to correct tomorrow, as well as um, uh, send my food uh, to my sponsor every day which he never says anything in response, which is fine. Um, It's great that another human being other than me knows what I'm eating every day. And that's why it's valuable. And a shout out to Wayne, my sponsor, who is uh, very patient with this very um, neurotic young guy from Connecticut named Matt. Um, We have a little We have a lot of questions about 
the things program has given you. You you said you didn't have time to mention all the things program has given you. And we have several questions uh, that want to hear more. They want that encouragement. Um, beyond just the physical recovery, and the physical recovery is a big thing. I don't have to ask for a seatbelt extender. Um, I can ride a ride at Six Flags. I can do all kinds of things in that sense. But spiritually, I'm able to be so much more present. I used to live in such a way that um, I was constantly waiting for whatever I was doing to be over so that I could be alone and binge. And I'm not living my life where I'm constantly waiting for whatever I'm doing to be over anymore. And that's a big gift. I'm not afraid to hang out with friends of mine that have young children because kids say mean things like, Hey, look at that fat guy and stuff like that. And I would avoid you if you had kids, if you had a pool party, I wouldn't go there. I had to try on 20 different shirts to leave the house Um, I'm comfortable in my own skin more often than not. Whereas before I was rarely comfortable uh, in my own skin. So the peace of mind, confidence and ability to be present, I'd say are the biggest things. Thank you, Matt. So I do want to tell people who are putting questions in chat that we're doing the best we can on getting to your question. I'm consolidating questions that are similar and I'm trying to get to a variety of different topics. So please uh, say, bless her, change me if you're getting frustrated because I'm not asking your questions. Um, How did you know you were ready to sponsor, Matt? I was told by my sponsor, you were, you're ready to sponsor. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Someone wants to know about the whole uh, being married thing. So the, I'll read the question. You say you were married now since you came into a program How do you help your spouse understand your way of life? And how did you develop in dating and getting to know your new now spouse? This is a funny question. um, If you know me personally and Kimberly's nodding. So, um, so my spouse, um, remember I said, when I spoke that I was listening to those speakers every single night in bed. Well, so was my wife. Um, and she ended up joining OA because the termite got in her head too about her needing this whole thing. So we work, we work a program together, you know, we make amends to each other. Um, but even before she jumped on board, I just shared with her honestly about my, my struggles. And even though I didn't know the extent of hers, she was, um, supportive. And I think if we include our significant others in our recovery, even if they don't join in totally in it in some way, um, it's helpful for them to understand it so that they can support it. 
Um, but a lot of time people, sometimes they grow apart, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily like when, if one person gets well and the other one doesn't. So that can be challenging sometimes, but be honest and open and, and trust. That's what I'd say. So do you use the big book in your OA recovery work or just uh, OA literature? So I, I think the big book is a fantastic book um, for anyone that hasn't had experience with it. Personally, this is just me because I had so much context with it prior in another program. Um, it's very hard for me to recreate um, the context. So I use um, exclusively OA literature in my OA program. But if I know lots of people that love to use the big book in their OA program and that works for them. And I'll just quickly say that we all do what works for us and we need to be respectful of each other and maintain unity. And we should never um, poo-poo someone else's approach for how they're working the program if it's going to work for them. So that's just what works for me and what will work for you might be different. Couple questions about when you had that aha moment or kick in the emotional butt and you clicked to starting to go from not going to any links to, and you changed to going to any links, what were the things you did to go to any links? There was just a different level of um, determination and desperation where I, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop complaining about what I don't like about OA. And I'm going to drive 10 hours or get a sponsor on another coast or whatever I need to do to take responsibility for my recovery. So I, I drove far to, to meet some people in OA. I um, reached beyond where I lived. Um, I asked different people if they knew people. Um, this was especially helpful when I was looking for a sponsor and, um, you know, really just, um, deciding to put all the tools together at the same time. I wish I could recreate what happened that day and like put it in a video. I I don't even, I don't even know what happened. I don't know what changed. I think I was just ready to quit the debating society because I was judging OA constantly and, and the people in it. And I decided to stop that and ask for your help and take your help. Couple more questions on sponsoring or sponsorship. Uh, this person says they are having a, trouble finding a sponsor during uh, virtual meetings and what, want to know what your advice is about finding a sponsor. I think uh, when you're looking for a sponsor, it's good to say, it's good to share in the meeting and say, I'm really looking for a sponsor and I'm really having a hard time. Can someone please, can someone please help me? And that's going to be good for you because it'll, um, you know, it'll make, make it so that you're putting the effort in and then other people, even if they're not available, they will probably know people and can connect you. So I would, I would say be vocal about it and make it known um, would be my suggestion. A quick one. Do you sponsor both men and women? 
I don't. I I sponsor men, um, and mainly because, uh, well, you know, it's 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 a it doesn't matter why. But uh, personally, I, I sponsor um, men. I was going to say it's it's helpful for both parties, but that's not always true because um, I know that people have different sexual orientations and gender identities, and we need to be open minded. Um, what's going to be helpful but generally speaking I, I i sponsor men excellent and then uh in one minute can you talk about your higher power sorry we'll give you 90 seconds yeah so um my higher power is uh that there's a mighty purpose and rhythm that underlie the totality of things and it's the um First of all, I, I was an atheist at one point, and um, I don't believe in a human being sitting in a chair in the sky that's manipulating, making the light turn green so that I get on time somewhere and putting a certain song on the radio for a message for me to hear, because it's not all about me, but my higher power is in everything. And all of those God moments are happening all the time. And it's just, am I willing to tune into it? Um, so I can't really articulate it, but it's, I have come around to believe in some kind of power that is within everything. But if anyone new is in OA and uh, new to OA, if you don't believe that that would work for you and you want it to be just the group as your higher power or OA itself as your higher power, um, the program can still work for you. It doesn't have to be an invisible supernatural uh, force. Thanks. Thank you so much, uh, Matt. Um, Wow. I don't know what is more powerful, your keynote address to us or your uh, Q&A session. So thank you very much. Thank you, everyone who um, posted questions. Sorry, we didn't get to all of them. But hopefully you heard something you can take and uh, add to your recovery. So we're closing the Q&A session and I'll hand it over to Chuck and everybody give Matt a nice round of applause that he can't hear in Zoom land. I think Matt knows it's there. Thank you, Matt, for your for your lovely share and answering the questions. I, I love that we can we can do this virtually and have the Q&A sessions.